millions of lives at risk, freedom in question. In this special report, we look at what an attack on Taiwan could look like, the impacts it would have here in America, and whether U.S. troops would pay the price. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Democracy under assault. What would an attack on Taiwan look like? The Chinese strategy is to win without fighting. And that doesn't mean that nobody fires a, does any fighting, but it's the notion about we, we want to win by having the enemy not fight back or not be able to fight back and to undermine them in a way that limits their capacity ability to fight. That's James Carafano, the Heritage Foundation's vice president for national security and foreign policy and a 25-year Army veteran. That notion of winning without fighting falls under what's called unrestricted warfare. The Chinese regime views Taiwan as part of its own territory, despite never having ruled Taiwan. Because of that, the regime has never ruled out taking it by force if necessary. Expanding on that, China expert and author of The Coming Collapse of China, Gordon Chang, writes that a sneak attack on Taiwan would play out differently than how U.S. and Western powers would expect it to. He states Americans may not even know that China has struck the first blow until months after it has occurred. Americans think China's war planners think like America's war planners. Unfortunately, the Chinese ones do not. First strikes, despite what former intelligence officials believe, do not have to look like the invasion of Normandy in 1944. As for the ways that could play out. If you look at every single part of what makes a country function, of what makes a nation, whether it's businesses, whether it's academics, whether it's, you know, uh, let's say our institutions, whether it's you know, politicians or influencers or media personalities even, uh, the CCP has methods to target them. And for them, this is warfare to conquer another nation through non-military means. That's Joshua Phillip, host of Crossroads and senior investigative reporter with the Epoch Times. He notes for the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, it's an assault on all institutions. Now, why is that? And what really is unrestricted warfare? To understand that, we must first look to China's history, back to the year 1999. Restricted warfare was the name of a you know paper written by two former Chinese colonels, and it, it laid out an idea of warfare that has no restrictions. Anything goes. Kerry Gershanik is a professor and the author of Political Warfare: Strategies for Combating China's Plan to Win Without Fighting and Media Warfare: Taiwan's Battle for the Cognitive Domain. He points out that while the book describes 24 different kinds of unrestricted warfare, the Chinese Communist Party officially adopted just three of them. Those are media warfare, psychological warfare, and legal warfare. And now those are playing out. Let's focus in on cognitive warfare on Taiwan. Uh, a number of the news media organizations in Taiwan are run by people who are getting their funding from the People's Republic of China. And so you could, the stories that you read, the editorial stances that you see could have been straight out of Xinhua, okay? Could have been straight off CCTV because in effect they are. The funding uh, that comes in, the funding that they use to, um, from advertising, for example, or they, they, that, uh, they'll, they'll use the business community uh, to affect 
the, uh, the media organizations. For example, you could have a pro-Taiwan uh, newspaper, but if the people who are advertising in that newspaper are pro-PRC, they're going to say, fine, we'll pull our advertising, you'll go bankrupt, you'll go out of business. And what you see, and we have seen, both there and in other countries, is the newspaper, unfortunately, through moral cowardice, uh, bends. The newspaper will say, okay, fine, we'll change our editorial stance. We want to stay in business. We have mouths to feed. So that's, that's a little bit of lawfare. That's a little bit of, um, it's a little bit of media warfare or public opinion warfare. Psychological operations. The large number of aircraft incursions uh, in the, the ta Taiwan ADIZ, Air Defense Identification Zone, that's psychological warfare. That's designed to wear down the people of Taiwan. It's designed to wear down the pilots and the commanders and the troops of the airmen in Taiwan because they're the ones that have to scramble all the time to respond to this. Talking about media warfare, it's not confined to traditional media. It travels through all mass communications. But the other way that they reach us is uh, we're a highly tech-savvy, you know, Taiwan, especially tech-savvy, the United States. Everyone's got their face in their, their iPhones. Everyone's on uh, a different social media platform. And so the, um, the cognitive warfare coming at us through uh, the, 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 the online, uh, through the internet, uh, the way that's bombarding us through deep fakes, the way it's uh, bombarding us through disinformation, propaganda, um, and, and it's, it, it's done in such a way that a lot of people don't even know that they're doing it. Now, as for a kinetic assault on Taiwan, what would the time frame look like? Diplomatic sources told The Telegraph a Chinese invasion on Taiwan would likely happen in four stages and completed within 48 hours. That short time frame is needed, as the longer the window stays open, the more likely allies like Australia, Japan and the U.S. would mobilize and head over. Looking at those four stages, a first would be a blockade, cutting off help from the U.S. and Japan. It would also cripple Taiwan economically, financially and operationally if continued for a long time. Following House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit in August, Beijing seemed to try out the blockade strategy, albeit briefly. That was by holding military drills surrounding the island. Secondly, the article notes Beijing would aim for an island grab. Beijing has long considered the outer-flung islands of Taiwan, the small Fujian province islands, as part of its own territory. Some sit less than six miles from China's mainland, including Kinmen, a chain of islands just east of the coast of Xiamen City in China, and the Matsu Islands, northwest of Taiwan. The article explains Beijing could seize these islands, home to around 20,000 people, to see how the West reacts. Under the U.S.-Taiwan Relations Act, the U.S. regards these islands as part of Taiwan, so Washington may feel forced to intervene. But that being said, President Biden may not want to risk an all-out war over these little islands. The third stage of invasion would come as an air blitz. The Chinese regime has already been sending scores of warplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. And last but not least would be an all-out offensive that would combine air, sea, land and cyber, ranging from drones to troops to even potentially hypersonic weapons.
The goal would be to overwhelm Taiwan's defenses as quickly as possible and squash any will to resist. But this would also guarantee an international response, which is why the diplomatic sources warn of that short 48-hour window. On that front, experts have noted the importance of Russia's invasion of Ukraine as a lesson for Taiwan. As for what Taiwan can learn from it, Carafano says... I think the lesson for Taiwan is that's a situation you want to duplicate. You, you want to be able to survive an initial Chinese attack to demonstrate that you can. And then you want to have a way that, that people can bring you aid and support and be resupplied. So that means holding Chinese Air Force at risk at, at depth, right? It means preventing ships from being able to move in and land on your shores. So that's anti-ship anti missiles. It means holding the places that the Chinese would launch capabilities from in the mainland at risk. So the ability to fire long-range missiles to interdict ports and, and airfields and other facilities. So those are the kinds of capabilities that the, the Taiwanese are going to have to build out. And then also a, a capability for to defend landing sites against the, a, a Chinese incursion. Now, on that kinetic side and whether the U.S. would send troops there, Carafano says. I don't see a scenario where U.S. troops are put in Taiwan. Taiwan is not a treaty ally of the United States. We have a, a commitment that we've made to contribute to helping Taiwan's self-defense. That's in America's interest. I think we'll honor that commitment. I think that commitment will come in terms of many forms, including diplomatic, political support, economic engagement, certainly uh, the, helping provide Taiwan military capabilities to help the Taiwanese defend themselves. But the single, single biggest contribution the United States can make to the defense of Taiwan is the commitment to keep open the, the, the Straits of Taiwan as, as for free and open traffic. So the United States has to, has to and, and should exercise the ability to defend uh, air and sea space. That's the, the biggest contribution that the United States can make. Having American troops on the ground in Taiwan actually isn't, wouldn't really be militarily significant. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's something that of, of really of value and worth doing. What's much more important is the United States' ability and commitment to support Taiwan self-defense, uh, keeping the sea lanes open, keeping airspace open. And, and I think that's where the focus of U.S. support will be. Coming up, we hear more from experts on why Taiwan remaining independent is crucial to the U.S. and the steps we can take now to counter Beijing's growing aggression. More on that in just a minute here on China in Focus. Now, as for why Taiwan remaining independent is crucial to the United States, Caravano explains. The independence of Taiwan is a vital interest for the United States. It's not because they make chips or they're a democracy or we do trade. It's because of the, the geostrategic location of Taiwan. It is arguably the key island in the first island chain. And if communist China controlled everything in the first island chain by force from from Taiwan to the South China Seas, that I think is 
uh, a strategic blow to the United States that really ends the United States' role as a nation power. Frank Gaffney, executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy and former assistant secretary of defense for international security policy under Reagan, shares a similar message. When, not if, when China decides that it is going to either garrot the Taiwanese or seize their island, it will have profound implications for Americans. We've got um, a critical dependency, among other things, on a supply chain for advanced silicon chips, the vast majority of which are made on the island of Taiwan. By some estimates, something on the order of 5 to 10% of our gross domestic product will be reduced if we lose access to those chips and all that flows from it. So we have a very direct interest in addition to, I think, the implications for us if Taiwan is seized by China, which will unfortunately unravel, I think, our strategic position in the Far East and jeopardize our allies as well as our interests there. Gaffney also points out one person who helped shed light on that. Defense Minister of China about 20 years ago, and in a speech to a party cadre, a secret meeting, he said not only that the object of China's biological warfare program, which by the way is illegal, is destroying the United States of America so that it can be repopulated by China colonized by China. He also said that there's going to be a lot of talk about Taiwan, but Taiwan is not the main target. The United States is. So this is a stepping stone, perhaps, to a kinetic war with the United States that the Chinese have been preparing for for decades to accompany the kinds of warfare that they've been waging now, for Beijing to achieve the goal of overpowering the West, Philip explains. CCP can look at America and say, OK, we can't meet them on a, in a head on, you know, head on head battle, but we can conquer them through other means. And so can basically create the standards of conquering another nation uh, through, through non-military means. For example, uh, foreign investment for the Chinese Communist Party is regarded as a type of you know, strategic uh, tool. And so for the CCP, this is warfare. Media is warfare. Psychology, how you interpret information is warfare. Uh, legal battles are warfare. In fact, the CCP even has it adopted into its military code. Gershanik expands on that. What they needed to do to defeat us, because the ultimate goal even then, as we, we well know, was to, to move the United States aside, not just move it aside as the, the world hegemon, to use their terminology, uh, but to, uh, to take that place and actually to destroy, defeat the United States of America. Given all that's at stake, what can be done? Carafano suggests... The number one thing that Americans have to understand is the concept of peace through strength. Um, I mean, this was a this was fundamental, I think, uh, a bipartisan concern, consensus of Americans during the Cold War, that regardless of what you thought about defending this place or fighting for that place, that the, the United States had to, and, uh, to, to deter future conflicts, 
have the conventional and strategic capability to defend its interests. Because that's a very powerful message to our enemies, not, not to risk threatening core American interests. Now, the way to counter that isn't to become the same as your enemy. Gershanik says it's the opposite. Key is education, always is. Um, we have to play by the rules. We don't, we're, we're not going by unrestricted warfare on, on our side of the fence, which you know, limits us, of course. But to play by the rules in a democracy, you have to have an educated citizenry. You have to have educated elected officials, educated military officials. As for how to get that education, Philip notes. Well, we need to start regarding everything the CCP does as it is, as the CCP says it is, which is a type of warfare. If those steps aren't taken and taken fast, Gaffney warns. This is one of the great scandals of all time, that we're watching Americans being induced, as I say, usually without their knowledge, to make possible the great, the heightened, I should say, power, the greater danger from our mortal enemy, an entity, the Chinese Communist Party, that has made no secret that they seek the destruction of our country. Chinese leader Xi Jinping reiterated Beijing would not rule out taking Taiwan by force if necessary. He made the comment during China's 20th National Congress, a major gathering of CCP leadership that only happens once every five years. During the event, senior officials vote to decide on the next batch of party leaders. With Xi Jinping on the path to securing his third term, Taiwan's independence and its importance to the West is increasingly in the spotlight. It's up to brave individual voices to sound the alarm before the spark of democracy next door to the communist regime is stamped out and Taiwan becomes the new Hong Kong. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.